Hello. Hello. I was just saying that's how this podcast is going to end, not because of any like drastic things, but because the program we use just isn't going to let us record anymore and we'll just get too lazy to find a new one. Yeah, and because the site hates us. Yeah, exactly. Hi, everyone. This is Jacob here at Geek and & Spiel. And this is Jeff. And I'm Electronic Rick. You are not Electronic Rick. You are Eric. I'd say you're more Pickle Rick than than uh, Electronic Rick. Pickle Rick! Are you saying this whole time your name's been Rick, but you're like email? Like electronic email? Yes. <laughs> okay, well then, <laughs> I need to change some things in my uh, in my contacts list then. <laughs> All the things. I have fun with it. You know how, like, the French are really obsessed with their language? No, because I don't give a damn about the French. Yeah, well, um, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) What have have the French ever done for me? Parlez-vous français? Uh, They've given you liberty. Um, They did that for people 250 years ago. I wasn't there for that. They did nothing for me. (laughs) What have they done for you now? Is that what you're asking? Yes. In my (laughs) lifetime, nothing. Oh, my God. Other than make make us change the names for like maybe a, a week or so to Freedom Fries instead of French Fries. Yeah, we were real stupid about that. Oh hell yes, we were. <laughs> All right, Electronic Rick. All right, Jeff. So yeah, we are we are covering a topic we tried to record two weeks ago, but our, failed miserably. Yeah, the program we use was not working, uh, and they got they said they got the glitch worked out. So so far we've been recording for about two minutes, and it hasn't exploded on us. So. I guess that's a good sign. So does everyone know what month it is? It's, uh, it's the best month. It is the best month. It is Spookytober. It is Spookytober. We're 20 days into Spookytober, and we're finally getting to talk about it on the podcast. That's such a shame. Yay. I'm not saying this is the best month, but I think this is, of all 12 months, the best month. I mean, weird flex, but okay. Everyone knows what the best month is. It's December. No, it is it's not. It's when I was born. No, When no. I was brought into the world to bring joy and misery to you. Well, mostly misery to you, Jacob, bud. Just because you were born on Jesus Day does not mean you're Jesus. <laughs> All right? So, <laughs> like, also, so, you have the worst You have the worst possible day for a birthday. December yes. 25th is the worst time because I know what happens. You get the gifts, but you get one gift, and they're like, here's your birthday slash Christmas gift. You get screwed over on the gifts. Just a little bit. <laughs> I've gotten used to it. <laughs> I've resigned myself to the fact that I will never actually get a full birthday present or a full Christmas gift. It'll be always... Half of one, half of the other, or three quarters of one, three quarters of the other, yada, yada, yada. Math is hard. Jeff, that's really big of you, almost Christ-like of you to accept that. So I have to give you give you props for that. I will not die for your sins, Jacob. I don't want you to die for my sins, Jeff. I just want you to die. <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh. the spooky month. <laughs> Remember, skeletons aren't spooky because they're inside of you. You're spooky because you're inside of the skeleton. How are you inside of the skeleton? Because all you are is a brain. Everything else is outside of you. You're inside of the skeleton. Yeah, but... but... (laughs) (laughs) That's my mind being blown. This is the kind of top-notch 
anything that people expect from us. I don't know. You know what? I don't think there are expectations. Yes. I, I think of all all three people None who listen whatsoever. to this, they're like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> we have no standards, so they don't have to hold us to any. Thank you. I think that's a great motto, and I'm going to put that into uh, somewhere. We have no standards, so you can't hold us to any. <laughs> <laughs> oh man feels like the, the catchphrase for my life yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> coming up in about two weeks if you can believe it is our extra life game day <laughs> we're gonna play games for 24 flipping hours to raise money for children's hospitals uh it's it's going well so far but we still haven't reached our goals yet for our team as a whole so please get out there and give us your monies. And by us, I mean children's hospitals. And by children's hospitals, we mean me specifically. Yes, give money to Eric. He needs the money. He's got a lot of alimony. And child support. And by that, we mean alcohol. Yes. Oh, we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> it's for, Remember, it's the jaunty hat is for the kids. Yes, the jaunty hat is for the kids. <laughs> the jaunty hat is yes. for the kids. Any, like, new stuff we want to talk about before we get into today's awesome topic? I have a fur baby. Yes, tell us about your fur baby. Uh, so, I adopted a kitten. Uh, her name is Chi, and she's adorable, and right now she's running behind me like a maniac. <laughs> so you may hear crashing. Don't worry, it's not, it's not anything serious. It's just her being crazy. You know, for once, my cat's actually just laying and not doing that so i appreciate that mm-hmm. uh our, our woofy's being super extra lately uh we brought someone over after dinner to watch a movie and he, oh, he was just no. not happy about that and he just kept giving her licks too and he and 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 giving her love but then when she moved he would just bark at her because he's such a dick other new things that are exciting i guess is the new alter bridge album came out this week yes Ooh. 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 top top solid they added like uh, synthesizer sounds to to a lot of the songs, but it's not overdone. It's really kind of subtle and just adds an extra layer to it. And it's oh, nice, nice. It's beautiful. Next weekend for Anita's birthday gift to me because October is birthday month, the best month. High five, Eric, over the podcast. High five. High five. Um, High five. Get, the, get your hand down, Jeff. No. Uh, you. She got tickets to the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra when they're doing one of their movie music things where they put a movie on a big screen, but the orchestra plays the entire soundtrack. Ooh. Dude. We, we did that for Nightmare Before Christmas a couple of years ago, and then we did that last year for Empire Strikes Back. And she got me tickets for they're doing the third Harry Potter movie, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, next Saturday. And I also... For my birthday present to myself, have a tattoo appointment on Friday. What's the tattoo going to be? Probably uh, the new Alter Bridge art. I really like that. Nice. You already have one of their things too, right? I have two. Nice. Soon you're going you're gonna to run out of space, though. I still have all of my legs and most of my torso, so I think I'll be fine. They keep releasing albums. I'll keep tattooing them. <laughs> That's exactly right. October is like one of my favorite months ever. I love the fall. And I miss it dearly because I live in the South now and the fall doesn't exist, which is very sad. It exists, it, it's existed for the last week or so. It's just a false, it's just a false prophet though. Yeah. Summer will be back. It'll be back soon. Nice. Yeah. November will be nice and warm. 
and uh, and then we'll get to experience winter for like a month, and then that weird uncomfortable phase between spring and winter that happens like in I don't know the, the South is weird February. So because Halloween's coming up so soon, it's going to be on a Thursday this year, and Jeff's actually going to be here in the South with us on Halloween. Halloween. I wanted to talk about our top five favoriteest uh, Halloween, spooky, horror, whatever type games, the ones that we love personally and what we love about them and why. I'm sorry, before we get to that, I just wanted to quickly mention, sorry, I was distracted by Ken because <laughs> uh, she is freaking adorable. Actually, last week I got a playthrough of uh, the Arkham Horror 3rd Edition and I've got to say, it's a fun game. What is different between the third edition and the second edition, which is the one that most people know about? The third edition is a lot more uh, streamlined and also story-driven. I've never actually played Arkham Horror the second edition, but I did play Eldritch Horror, which is somewhat similar. It's a lot more story-driven and kind, kind of a little bit more of like a uh, choose-your-own-adventure type, where it's like, if you meet certain conditions, you'll you'll go on this path. But if this happens, you're on a different path. And depending on what you do and things that happen, you can end up with a relatively good uh, ending, or you can end up with a like everyone dies ending. That's the ending I want to go for. Oh, often. I have no faith in humanity. Well, that's why that's that's what makes you a Lovecraft protagonist. Well, <laughs> so I don't understand because Arkham Horror was known for being a really long game, and mm-hmm. it was it's still really long. How long was this one? Uh, it was our first game, so it, with uh, dinner break, it took us about three four hours. That's around the length they say that Eldritch Horror should go, right? The the one that they made to kind of streamline and shorten Arkham Horror to begin with. Yeah, but uh, I can see with this one, the more that you play, the more they get used to it, the more that that's going to go down. That'll probably cut it down to like two, maybe three hours. So it cuts it down even more. Yeah. And now, if I understand correctly, there's another game coming out by Fantasy Flight's Arkham Horror Universe called Final Hour. Yep. And and that's supposed to be even an even shorter game? Final Hour, I think, is like kind of the final boss battle. You're just playing the final boss. You're doing Basically. a boss run. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that again. That was How... my fault. Not Can the cats. I... Yeah, I turned to see what she was doing, and I <laughs> rubbed against the microphone with my headset. <laughs> she's like she's like building a bomb behind you. You have no idea. You're just trying to concentrate. No, the cat's being cute. Oh, was that C4? She... Oh, such a good kid. And now you... Oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that little aside there, but I just wanted to mention it. Fantasy Flight's Arkham Horror universe is enormous. Oh my god, it is. So what, you have three editions of Arkham Horror, <laughs> you have Eldritch Horror, you have countless expansions. Now you have the, th- the third edition of Arkham Horror, you have Elder Signs, the dice game, with its multiple expansions. Mm-hmm. And now you have well, you've all you also have Arkham Horror, the Living Card Game. Yep. Which is huge. I don't even know how far along it is now. There's there's tons of stuff. Oh, absolutely huge. 
it's and it's interesting because I didn't realize this. And I purchased these recently this month. They released these small hardcover novellas of of Arkham Horror stories, and there's about five of them, and each one is written by a different you know author, and they come with a uh, little Arkham Horror card game cards as of the characters that they're about, like alternate art or different like items and stuff you can implement in your game. Which is yeah, neat. Yeah, the promo cards. Yeah. It is really neat. They're, and, and the art's really cool on them, too. I just finished one yesterday reading one of the stories, and I thought it was awesome. And now that I, I'm reading about the character, I'm looking through the art of the other games, and she's appeared in multiple ones. So it's kind of cool that they've built this, their own sort of mythos within the world. They've kind of incorporated a lot of the Lovecraft stories and lore, but they've sort of built it in their own direction with like identifiable characters that spreads throughout all these different games. And I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, it is. Uh, and this is actually, isn't the first one to do like the uh, promos in a book or anything like that. The first one that I remember is actually, <laughs> I know that you're going to hate me for saying this, but you give the card game. I don't hate you because I remember magic novels and comics doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Promo yeah. cards? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, slip them in the, in the covers and whatnot. Yeah, and like uh, in Shonen Jump, the magazine, uh, the manga magazine, they had like Yu-Gi-Oh promos and like things like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I recommend those, and promo promo stuff is always good stuff. Yes, and in this one, it's... It's spooky because it's Arkham. <laughs> Going full circle there. Yeah. Oh, actually, cool, a, a cool promo thing I, I want to mention, too, is uh, I got my uh, – I, I kickstarted the, the Dice Tower last year, mm-hmm. and, I, and I backed one of their promo things, and I got the promo pack in this week. And my promo pack came in with the – what they call them, Smash Up Titans – it's this mechanic in the game where you take out like a larger card and they do this huge effect on the game for whatever faction you're using. Oh yeah. They, they had them for a whole set and they released a couple other ones too, but there's a bunch of promo ones you can pick up. And so the promo ones, for example, they give you Cthulhu in the minions of Cthulhu set. They give you Dagon in the Innsmithers and they give you cream puff man for the, for the ghosts which is a very clearly like yes. a giant Stay Puft marshmallow type thing, which I thought was delightful. <laughs> so good, good call with those promos there. Those are those are top notch. That's awesome. So speaking of uh, Stay Puft, Cream Puff, Marshmallow Men's and horror, let's get to our top five favorite horror, Halloween, scary, spooky, whatever type games uh, that we have. So here's where I'm going to cue our music. And by cue, I mean I'm going to ask Jeff to make a sound effect because that's all this was. <laughs> all right, Eric, what do you got for us? Number five. Uh, the the first one that I had was a series of games called Outlast. The first game, and I haven't played the second game yet. I, I've been meaning to, but I just haven't bought it, got around to it. Uh, but the first game, you were uh, some kind of reporter investigating some old insane asylum. Um, trying to figure out because apparently there was like patients that were going even crazier and killing people, whatever. Um, and the the staff was doing, you know, bad stuff. And you just it's it's kind of like a a cat and mouse kind of game because there's this big monster guy that chases you around 
and you have to use your camera to see like in the dark with like a night vision lens on the camera. I I, I haven't played it in a while, but it's interesting. It's pretty fun. Just kind of that tenseness of being in that situation where you don't know what's going to come around the next corner or what's going to be the next room you go into. That's a cool concept. In the second game, if I'm right, you're like in some desert ghost town somewhere, and it's just like the same kind of stuff going on. I don't know if the the player character in that one is a reporter again or not, but that's what I think the second game is. Can you play this on any system? I don't know if it's on Switch. I know it's on PS4 probably xbox i know it's on pc i've seen uh previews and uh, videos on it it looks interesting but um if you get spooked easily it's not for you i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah i do get a little spooked but also um it's getting a little tiresome of uh like people always going to like insane asylums and like uh things oh, like yeah, that for the horror setting it's a it's a trope that's overdone, that's for sure. Yeah, and just because this day and age, a lot of a lot of people bring up uh, mental health, and it's that uh, sorry that was kidding again. Uh, but <laughs> well, Jeff, doesn't Long Island have an essentially an abandoned in like a uh, mental health facility that people will like sneak into sometimes? I forget what it's called. I thought there was one there. There is. I just forgot the name of it, too. Yeah. So, like, the the trope, it's kind of based... It. I totally agree with you, by the way, because it gets old kind of trying to put mental health on the yeah. same level of, like, horror, even though it is a scary thing. Yeah, and also it makes people less likely to talk about it because everyone's just like, oh, it's a horror trope. It's all, all people that are in a mental health institution are crazy and are going to kill you, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in 2019, you don't talk about it. You just make jokes about it, and that's how I've gotten by. So we're going to keep riding that train all the way to the station. <laughs> Memes are not a, a form of treatment. <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> so so sorry about that. No, but it makes yeah. sense because I think a lot of a lot of the asylum stuff, that, the stuff they used to do was terrifying. The stuff they used to do to people was so, oh, yeah. was so oh, yeah. barbaric, and I think a lot of that comes from there. But I agree that it's definitely an overused location, I think. Jeff, what you got for us? Okay, so I have on mine, I know that it shows up on Eric's list, so we can both hit this together. Uh, the Resident Evil franchise, the video games, not the movies. The <laughs> <laughs> Gotta specify that. I enjoy the movies, but I do understand that they are horrible. I don't understand how anyone can enjoy those movies, but carry on. <laughs> the first, the first one wasn't bad. The first one wasn't bad, and then it just got camp. It got. Well, no, um, the first one, the first one, and I think the second one was okay too. But the first one was was the better one because it had the little the laser hallway. Yes. Yeah, laser hallway. Good times. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, the Resident Evil franchise. Has been a thing since the 90s. I believe that they're on between like all the spinoffs. They're on their 12th or 15th game, I think. Well, I don't know about all the like the Resident Evil Type Zero and all that, but I know the last like numbered entry was Resident Evil Seven Biohazard. Yeah, I played partially through that. I couldn't actually finish it because just 
the tension of the game was just a little, t- just a tiny bit too much for me. I I absolutely love horror movies, but it was just like, oh my god, I'm getting stressed out with this. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I have to put this down. Well, you know what I have to say about that is that that's just Darwinism at work. Yep. And also, little fun thing was that my friend has a PlayStation VR headset, and we decided nope. to play it VR. Nope. And just Ooh. it it wasn't it wasn't scary or anything. It, well, it was scary in it being first person and virtual reality, but I was just the movement of it. I I was starting to get motion sickness, and I'm just like. Yeah, no, I'm done. Before I start throwing up. <laughs> the real terror is nausea. Dun, dun, dun. I did really enjoy the um, remake of Resident Evil 2 they did this year. I thought mm. that, that was a very well done remake of a of an old game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. That was a huge hit, wasn't it? That like. Oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. was all over the place for a while. Yeah, Capcom was kind of doing not so hot for a while. But between the Resident Evil 2 remake and Devil May Cry 5 coming out earlier this year, they just, I mean, skyrocketed again. Oh, yeah. Are they the ones who are going to, um, that they're relaunching all their, they're trying to relaunch all their old titles? Like, they're trying to get, like, Darkstalkers back out there again? I think I, I, think I, be- I read a report I somewhere. I believe so, yeah. They're trying to, like, push all their old stuff back out. I mean, it's what the people want. It's what the people want. Yes, yeah, what the people want. But yeah, uh, the Resident Evil games... I was raised on my first official entry, and it was actually Resident Evil 3. So I didn't get into the director's cut or into uh, the first one or into number two, but I've been revisiting those, and they're cool. So I was I was introduced to Resident Evil when 4 came out originally on the GameCube as a two-disc GameCube game. Oh, yeah. Um, and my brothers would lo- would not let me play it because it was rated M. I was like, I don't know, 12 or something like that. And they would let me sit there and watch it. So I'm like, what's the difference? <laughs> First of all, I, I'll sit there and watch it. Second of all, you were playing Mortal Kombat before you were my age, which was also rated M. <laughs> but then years later, when I did actually play it, not until about three, four years ago, actually, I found that I actually hated it because it is a third-person horror shooter where you cannot move and aim your weapon at the same time, which is unrealistic, and I hate it. Yeah. Isn't that part of the the tension of the game? Yeah, because you have to stop and stand still to aim. Like, what kind of... You're a special agent. What kind of... I thought, I thought Resident <laughs> Evil was all about the fact that it was not a very combat-focused game. Like, it was mostly about you trying to survive. You have to survive by shooting things in the head. <laughs> With limited bullets and things. Yeah. yeah, you know, America. Oh my God. So Resident Evil 4 was the beginning of like the trend into the kind of more shooter style? Yeah, it, it took a much more action turn starting with uh, 4 and 5, and then Resident Evil 6 was very heavily like action-oriented. Like There were so many quick-time events in that game. Yeah. Now, Resident <sighs> Evil 7, isn't that taking off of like the modern tropes that a lot of other games are doing now where it's more of a uh, that sort of like haunted house pt type sort of kind of first person view and and things are jumping at you and it's super spooky scary yeah 
It's very spoopy. It's very spoopy. So spoopy. <laughs> okay, so how about we move on to Jacob? Yes, it's me, Jacob. Yes. My number five is, we're going to change direction a little bit. We're, we're looking at games like Outlast and Resident Evil. That's why my number top five is Costume Quest 1 and 2. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this by saying that I, I don't play a lot of scary video games because I'm a big coward. Because uh, like survival horror and extremely graphic violent games, uh, they don't really appeal to me, which is, which is like weird because like I'll play things like God of War. And, uh, and even, but even then I'm like, wow, there's some things in here that's a bit much. Uh, but I do like a lot of like horror themed things or like some spooky stuff. And, uh, I can talk about some of those later on, but number five is a game that I've played for three years in a row. Now it is maybe a six to eight hour game. If even it's by double fine productions. And the first one came out in 2010 for PS three and Xbox 360. And the second one came out in 2014 for the newer systems like PS four every year. And Anita and I will download Costume Quest 2 and just play through it throughout the month of October. Uh, have you guys ever played these games before? I've never heard of them before. Oh, good. Jeff? I played the first one, never the second one. Okay, so this is, it's this adorable and at times like hysterical kind of turn-based role-playing game. Yes. Your children going trick-or-treating around a town that has been taken over by, uh, not by zombies, by monsters that are stealing all the candy. In the first game, you're trying to save your twin who was kidnapped. And in the second game, there is a dentist that goes back in time to steal a talisman to summon those monsters back so he can take over Halloween so kids can't have candy anymore and ruin their teeth. What an asshole. I know, I know. The game is, it's really funny, for one thing. It's adorable and it's hysterical. And the way the game works is... Yeah, most of it is you're you're in a little section. You have to go trick or treating, and behind the door you'll either find candy, which you can then use to buy like upgrades and and fun cards and stuff like that, or you'll be attacked by a monster and go into this like kind of the old school turn based combat. But it, it's only like one button you push, but there's a whole like timing thing where if you get it right, you do extra damage, or you can counter, and then a meter fills up and you do a special attack. And the way it works is you're running around wearing these ridiculous costumes. Like if you're a robot, you're just essentially two pieces of cardboard box on top of each other. But when you enter combat, you turn into an actual robot or an oh. actual superhero or an actual Wolfman's. Or there's this great or one in the third in the in the second game, which is you're a hot dog costume, but you turn into like a three headed hot dog dog monster. Oh, so a hot Cerberus. Yeah, it's a hot surprise, exactly. And uh, and there's a clown, which is just weird looking. And um, and some of them, some of them have different like abilities. Like some will heal you, and some will hit really hard, and some will do splash damage or damage over time. Uh, there's a wizard in the second game that looks suspiciously like Gandalf. And then when you find the upgrade for the costume, the upgrade is bleach, and it turns white, and now you're a white wizard, which I think is a great little joke in there. So oh my god, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very it's very in theme it's very like halloweeny it's 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 not scary at all which is uh perfect it's just really cute and uh while still having that halloween trick or treating candy feel so if you want something that's really fun to play and and humorous and won't take you very long and it's very easy it's a great way to spend some time i think so that's costume quest 1 and 2 nice let's move on to our number 4s 
So for number four, I put down the uh, Slenderman games. Ooh. For those who are uninitiated. Or under a rock. Or under a rock. Same thing. The Slenderman, I don't want to say phenomenon, but like the whole thing started off like these creepypastas, which kind of took on their own personality, and then people started making games, and then there's a movie. But the games are relatively simple. I don't know if you're a kid or what. It's never really explained. I think you're a child because Slenderman hunts children. Uh, but you go around like finding these drawings and stuff that other people have left behind, while Slenderman hunts you down and tries to, you know, abduct you and do whatever Slenderman does. They're really kind of tense because you don't really have any clues as to what's going on. Like when he starts getting close, you start hearing some noise, but that's really about it. Um, they're kind of dark it's hard to see because they're all set at night kind of spooky i haven't played one in a while i don't really like them like that much if you want to if you want to get spooked mm-hmm. go get go, go get eaten by a uh, very tall skinny faceless man with tentacles how does he eat if he doesn't have a mouth he he it look you're it's like <laughs> science you, it's like it's like you're asking why i gave maurice a jaunty hat right it's like the same kind of question. You can't explain these things. They explain. just happen, you know. So in my headcanon with this, with uh, Slenderman, I just see him abducting the children and making them do yoga. <laughs> just No, no, because I, I went Downward last year. dog. <laughs> I went last year and, and saw the movie with some friends of mine. And the movie actually played a lot on like the psychological horror aspect of it. And then the end, the main character of the movie... And me, I don't really like horror movies. Games are fine because you can kind of control what's going on and deal with it. I don't like movies because you're just like, you're stupid. What are you doing? Do you... I, I like, I'm the opposite of you. I like the movies and not necessarily the horror games. I'm the opposite of both of you. I'm not always a big fan of horror stuff to begin with. <laughs> so I was I was sitting in the theater with my friends like throughout the whole movie cracking jokes. And uh, at the end of the movie, the Slender Man turns the main character girl into a tree. And I just say, turn that bitch into a tree. Because bitches love saving the environment. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> and that's where I stand on that. Like Don Cheadle in that Captain Planet sketch? Exactly. <laughs> treat, treat, treat. <laughs> that's that's the truest horror movie. Is Don Cheadle Captain Planet? Let's be real. Um, but that's what I have on that. My number four is Betrayal at House on the Hill, Ooh. which is which is an amazing tabletop game. It's basically a B horror movie in a box. Each player controls a character and each of them are kind of the stereotypes like you have the jock you have the cheerleader you have the little asian kid and the little girl things like that (laughs) what oh that's right they did put short round in there yes they did (laughs) but yeah i i totally don't pick him every single time that we play (laughs) do you jeff i like to be the crazy once in a while i do I, i think we all know who i like to pick but we'll get to that later Yes. Basically, it's your goal to explore the house and uh, find items and just kind of prepare yourselves for the haunt. The haunt is kind of the twist of the game where 
all of a sudden it becomes like the ho- actual horror movie. Like you'll like one of you will become a werewolf or another time it's a free for all trying to find a parachute because all of a sudden the house is lifting up into the air or like there's a giant stay puffed marshmallow man chasing you or whatnot. <laughs> but it's an older game. It's still in its second edition. The f- the first edition was funny because you could have the underground lake in the second floor of the yes, house. Yes, I remember that. Which was Correct. amazing. We ran into that in our very first Dice Tower con. We were playing that game with someone, and uh, I pulled that tile, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> second floor? <laughs> what, underground lake? What? <laughs> You're thinking too hard about it. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like the all the haunted house tropes and like I'd say because of the fact that the rooms all come out randomly it's a little bit more like say the horror movie cube where all of the rooms are supposedly ram- randomized so it's like each room shows up differently and it's like wait why is that there or, oh hey, I found this. Uh, I found this rusty old pitchfork with something dry and red on it. I don't know what it is. It's rust. Totally from rust. all the blood. <laughs> but yeah, I. It's one of my favorite games to hit on Halloween or during the times because just because it's it can be really tropey and just. It can be a lot of fun. It's a thematically brilliant game, and I, and I may or may not talk about it later on as a choice. Yes. Uh, my number four is a game that I have actually not played in a couple of years, I think. Uh, and that's just because of the nature of just how things are, and that's Dead of Winter. That was a bad decision we made <laughs> playing that outside at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, no, yeah. Our very first uh, Extra Life, we decided to go play it in the outdoor patio section of my house in November of uh you know even in georgia though it gets pretty cold around that time of night we were doing it i think at like two in the morning it was something yeah, like that it was like that. it was the three of us and emily right yeah yeah and, and <laughs> i don't know if we even finished the game i think we just got so cold that we just gave up and put it away yep we did so the dead of winter game is it's a board game by plaid hat games that came out in 2014 and jeff i don't know if you remember when this game came out, people could not find it. It was being sold out. It was a huge hit. Oh, yeah, absolutely it was. Mm-hmm. It's a semi-cooperative game uh, where each person is part of a colony of survivors during a zombie apocalypse. Uh, so it's in the middle of winter, which is why it's called Dead of Winter. Get the pun. See it. It's it's there. And uh, so your supplies are dwindling, and you need to venture out of the colony to find supplies because... You are constantly being attacked by zombies, so you need weapons. Uh, you often have to make awful uh, decisions through this really cool crossroads system that they had, where every time someone went, they had to pull a card that would read part of a story, and you'd all have to either make a decision or the person would make a decision that would drastically affect the rest of the game. And this game is so good because I, I need to make this clear. I hate zombies. I do not like zombies as a, a thing like uh, you can throw all of your your Wolfmans and Draculas and and every other type of thing at me. Do not like zombies. But this game is so good that I will gladly play this one. 
And the reason it's such a good choice, not just the theme, is because the fact that there may or may not be a traitor. Bum, bum, bum. So there's a mechanic in the game where everyone gets their own thing they have to do on top of the goal for the rest of the game to win. It, maybe I have one that says, like, I'm a hoarder, so I have to have end the game with a bunch of cards in my hand of different types, and I can't tell anyone what, my, what I'm doing. But because there's a traitor, if what I'm doing doesn't seem practical and people see me and they're like, Jacob, we need this stuff. Why do you have so much crap in your hands? Why aren't you helping? They're going to think I'm a traitor when I'm not. I'm just trying to do my own thing. And so that psychological tension of who or what is, you know, the, the, a, a possible uh, betrayer is a really cool tension to have around, like, you know, the Halloween spooky time. Uh, yeah. So this combines the best parts of the tension of like a game like Werewolf or Ultimate Werewolf or any of the other type of social deductions with a really fun board game that's all about like horror theme stuff. It, because of this stress and the dread of the trader mechanic, it is probably the greatest and worst moments I've ever had in gaming, period. And uh, that's why I've chosen it for my number four. And then you're, during one of your playthroughs... Three of your friends decide to cheat and look at your card. <laughs> they, <laughs> Sean and Emily, and them brought it up during their podcast, so I just wanted to bring it up here. Just oh, the, the, an old wound. I, I didn't hear you when they when they, what they did. Yeah, they um, that's not what they did. I thought because Anita was there, they they yeah. purposefully gave me the trader card that they knew was the trader card. Oh yeah. So they played the whole game with with knowing I was the trader, but like not telling me that they knew I was the traitor and and that did not end well that did not oh. Oh, another one that also that almost didn't end well was the time did you play that with us was it a christmas time we played it with with Aiden my nephew yes and uh i was thoroughly convinced that he was the traitor and i convinced us all to vote him out and he thought that meant he was kicked out of the game but that doesn't kick you out of the game it just changes your winning condition yeah. And he wasn't the traitor, and he ended up winning, and he was super mad because he thought he was kicked out of the game entirely. And then he ended up winning the game, and I think we all lost. I think you were the traitor or something like that. I don't quite remember. Okay, okay. But I I, I do, and it was funny. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it can, it can lead to some very stressful situations. And like Jacob said, Aiden did get really upset with it. But if you can just be like, okay, it's just a game, move. Okay, they just kicked me out of the colony. Oh, crap. I need to start foraging now. Yeah, and he, he didn't realize that, like, oh, you're, you, you're, you're still playing. You now have a different thing is all. Like, and, uh, and, then, and then he ended up winning. And that's the thing about the game is it, it, you got to get yourself in the mindset that there's a chance that somebody's going to be playing suboptimally or differently and that you – you need to be wary of each other. You don't want to take that shit outside the game. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, so that is Dead of Winter. That's my number four. We've already talked about my number three, so... Let's hear about it. What is your, what is Eric's number three? It was Resident Evil. Oh, right. Anything you want to add to Resident Evils? No. Okay. No, I'm good. I, I, I think we, we hit, hit some good points. Yes. Jeff, what is your number three? My number three is Mansions of Madness. Wow. Ooh, I love that Mansions of Madness is another uh, game by Fantasy Flight. Oh, I forgot to add that to the list. <laughs> yeah. They are not sponsoring us or anything here. But 
It's based in the same Arkham universe as Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horror, things like that. But the difference between Mantis of Madness and uh, Arkham Horror is that it's still scenario-based, but instead of just kind of... It's much more about kind of solving the mystery, moving around the house, the building, and... Uh, finding clues, speaking with people, solving puzzles, and of course, uh, dealing with cultists and monsters and stuff. It's a really fun, cooperative style game. Another one of those kind of uh, app-driven games. So it's good because you don't see everything that's going to be happening. And you just discover it as you go on. I've never played the first edition of it. But I heard that it could be very finicky because it was a one versus all game. And that uh, with the setup, the whoever was playing the uh, mess mind guy or the uh, villain had to get everything exactly right. Otherwise, it would have thrown everything off. So I'm glad that I started off with second edition rather than first. The uh, the game is is super fun. It, it has the same tile laying things almost as Betrayal, except that unlike Betrayal, where it's randomized and you pick it, it's kind of like this cool fog of war thing, where the house is already built within the app. We just don't know what room's showing up until you actually go in there. And so, like, it slowly reveals itself bigger and bigger. And I remember the first time Eric and I and a bunch of us played the um the the one that takes place in Innsmouth. Oh, that was rough. It was it was rough, but it was also huge. The map was gigantic. Like you start in this house and then you build the street around you and that was really yeah. neat. And uh I mean, we lost that pretty hard, but uh yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty close at times. The game is it's a lot of fun. It's very thematic. It's very immersive. One of the problems with it, the rules are still a little hard to understand. There's this whole nonsense about people in your line of sight and doorways. Like, apparently, if you're, like, next to a monster, but they're in another room, they uh, they don't see you. And you have to indicate that on the app. It's very confusing. There's a whole, like, FAQ about it. And uh, it actually helps the players out more than, than hurts them. But it's kind of like, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense. But the game, other, other than small nitpicky things like that, I think, Jeff, this is a great choice, I think, for number three. Yeah, and my headcanon, again, for... Uh, the reason for that is because they're so tall that their head is against the ceiling, so they can't actually see at the door. <laughs> or they, uh, if it's like in the bathroom or something, like the shower curtains are over its head. Making yeah, it <laughs> I like that. It's, it's like a dog like looking around underneath the curtain, like, what's going on? I recently got the expansion for the Streets of Arkham one that really like expands it out. So I'm excited to see what that does. Oh. The reason you don't pull this game out all the time is because the the very first adventure is the shortest one. And that's like two hours mm. or like an hour and a half. Everything after that can range. I think I, I think there's one that's almost like six hours long. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like the uh, streets, like the uh, Innsmouth Street one, that can take a long time. And it's the hardest one. We were doing that for at least four hours. That game went on for a while and you don't notice the length of time that's how you know a long game is good is when you don't really feel it until it really starts <laughs> getting to you mm-hmm. <laughs> my number three is also a repeat on somebody else's list but i do want to talk about it and that is betrayal at house on the hill 
What? It's like we know each other. Do you know how old this game is? It is freaking old. 2004, man. I know. And now it is published by Wizards of the Coast. The Watsy. So like Jeff said, it's a semi-cooperative, and then you go to the haunt, and I don't think you mentioned that there's over like 50 haunts, right? Like, of different mm-hmm. options. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned some of the some of the things that can happen. And like you said, it's a huge homage to every horror trope that you can think of. Uh, they really do, like, put every single horror thing you can think of in there. Slasher movies, monster movies, psychological horror, Lovecraftian, things that I, I think that they came up with, creepy dolls, things like that. Yeah, and it's like one of the ones from the expansion, Widow's Walk, was basically The Purge. Yeah, the, it's kind of cool how they just, you know, they were able to add more and more things that are now known for like horror movies and stuff. And the game itself is not like a, a scary game because you're not like scared while playing. It doesn't give you the same tension that like Dead of Winter puts into you, but it's just that's what makes it more fun. So that's why, in my opinion, this is not a game that you play to win. This is a game you play to play. Yeah, for the experience. Yeah, it, it works best when everyone is in on it, especially with like role playing. Because, like, in my mind, the only way this game works is when Emily's version of Professor Longfellow is playing, and when Sean's Ox Bellows is there, and when I play Heather, oh, I, I'm sorry, uh, Heather. 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 And, uh, and those versions are canon in my head as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, you're right. Wid- Widow's Walk adds a bunch of stuff, and the game is so good that, that they released a second version of it through WotC, uh, which is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which is the same game. They streamlined a little bit of it here and there, and they put it in a D&D universe. Uh, each character has like a special ability too, because they're like either a, a paladin or a cleric or a druid or something like that, and uh, or a bard or a bard. <laughs> bard. I've only played that one like once. I do have that one because I don't own Betrayal at House on the Hill because everyone I know owns a copy, so I don't see the reason to have one myself. He's right, you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. Betrayal at House on the Hill, if you have not played it, get a group of people together. It's, what, minimum three people, but it's much better with a full complement. Yeah, like six. Just knock everything off your table, dump it on there, and have a good time. Uh, Fun fact, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate has a lot more uh, cooperative-style haunts versus uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because it's a lot more on the D&D end, so they want to it to be a little more thematic that way sir i've played DD for many years and i don't know what you're talking about when you say the word cooperative <laughs> well for the players not for the dm i have also dabbled in the d and the d and i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> because i do not know who i am or what i must do all i know is i must kill God. murder hobos uh eric what is your number two uh, for number two on my list, I put Bloodborne, which you don't think it's a horror game unless you look at anything about the game, like the name or the box or, you know, it's a, for ease's sake, I'll say it's a Dark Souls game because it's made by the same studio, same guy, mechanics, all that's all the same, except for it's set in like a Victorian England kind of place and... The premise of the game is that you are a hunter. What you hunt is nightmares. You go around hunting uh, these aberrations and these beasts and 
throughout the course of the game, throughout the Night of the Hunt, it just gets more and more eldritch, I guess. Um, leading up, especially to the end, where you can literally go around and start killing, like, what basically equates to star spawn, right? Yeah. And at the end of the game, you're given a choice. What, what happens is, if in the premise of the game, if you die in what's called the Hunter's Dream, then you're no longer bound to the hunt, right? You can go and you can live a, quote, normal life for what normal is. So you can you can do that, or you can say, no, I don't want to, and you can fight uh, the guy Garman, he's the first hunter, and if you beat him, you basically take his place watching over the hunt and watching over the hunters, uh, because it's it's like a cycle, right? These these eldritch creatures are basically creating the cycle to feast on humanity. But there's also a third path that you can take there. So if you fight Garman and you've also fulfilled some other requirements throughout the game, you can fight what's called the Moon Presence. And then if you beat the Moon Presence, you get to become a little tentacle monster baby. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in terms of video games, I haven't played Sunken City. I have played Call of Cthulhu the game. It's one of the best kind of integrations of like the Lovecraft kind of thing into a video game because you have insight and the more insight you have in the game, which is a stat, the more that you can see the the Eldritch stuff, the spooky, I don't want to be near this kind of stuff. Uh, so I really enjoyed the, the, way, the way that they kind of mix that in there because when you start the game you think oh i'm just hunting like werewolves and monsters and then it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier bloodborne is my favorite game to watch i tried getting into it and the style is is not for me it's i'm I'm not i'm not patient or good enough at that kind of thing and it is scary and that and what you're bringing up is is exactly the the big thing with that game when it came out everyone thought it was going to be like you're hunting werewolves and monsters and like people with pitchforks and torches and it looks like a classic victorian gothic horror and then like halfway through the game it makes a complete flip yep and suddenly you're now fighting these lovecraftian cosmic beasties and it's just sort of the lore behind it, which is very hard to find in game from what I've seen, but there's plenty of YouTube videos that'll talk about it. Let me tell you, it's not hard to find in game. All you have to do is open up the menu and read the item description. Yeah, reading's hard. I want someone to tell me. Uh, Says the guy with an English degree. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. You'd have to like they don't present it to you like in cutscenes or something like that. Not all the time. Like you got you got to like read the item descriptions and and kind of piece some things together, which is really cool. And so the game, I think, is that it's still being played. It's been out for a while now, and there's people who still like play through it over and over. It's been out for about four years, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on this. I think this is a great choice. I also uh, enjoy the DLC that they put out for the game because there's a DLC throughout the throughout the main game. If you actually read like item descriptions or pay attention to to certain things, you'll hear about like all these legendary old hunters. Um, and the DLC to get into the DLC, you have to let one. Of the, there's one of the the Eldritch thingies that's hanging off the church, and it can grab you, and it pulls you into the DLC area, where you actually go around and you fight a lot of those those old hunters as, as they've been 
corrupted and turned into beasts themselves. It's really cool. Oh, that's cool. They also have, this part of the DLC is my favorite weapon in the game. It's called Boom Hammer. <laughs> it, it's a hammer that goes boom, and I love it. <laughs> this is my Boom Hammer. <laughs> well, because like, the thing with the weapons in that game is they transform, right? Yep. So if you hit the transformation button and you do like a regular attack, it'll kind of do like some fire damage on whatever you hit. But if you charge it up and do a strong attack, it'll like explode the point of impact. That's neat. That's actually it's really neat. It's ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> I see this game. I want to be able to play it, but I just don't have the time to sink into the necessary skills for it. I don't want to get good. Yeah. None of us want to get good. <laughs> I just want to enjoy my game. Bloodborne, though, I think is an excellent choice. Uh, this is one of, um, Jeff, this is one of Lloyd's favorites, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. He's like Eric. He was really into the Dark Souls and uh, Bloodborne style games. I like the pain. As a quick aside, I know that you also own the Bloodborne card game. Correct. Or board game. Mm-hmm. They call it a card game, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a card game. And and I know the three of us have all, all played it at one point or another. And it's, it's interesting because I don't think it fully encapsulates a lot of maybe what the game is about. It doesn't. But the it's still a cool concept of a game where you're all working together and yet trying to win at the same time to beat up these monsters correct i think it's a neat little card game it is it's fun and it's quick which is good yeah it's not very long very nice drawer free my number two and again we are not being sponsored by fantasy flight i cannot (laughs) repeat i cannot continue repeating this again we're not sponsored by fantasy flight but we're very open to it Fantasy Flight. Please contact us, please. Send us games. Yes. <laughs> My number two is the Arkham Horror slash Eldritch Horror franchise. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're putting a whole franchise in as your choice. Well, te- well, technically I'm putting Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror, which are basically the same game. Oh, okay. You're not saying like the entire Arkham Horror franchise, like the Mansions of Madness game you just said, the card game, Elder Signs. No, I'm gonna. Okay. I'm saying as the that one. Okay. Uh, we've played a, a couple of times uh, Eldritch Horror, which uh, Lloyd happens to own, and it's a really long game. Sometimes it can drag, but overall, it's a fun and very thematic game. But if I was to choose between those games, I'd have to say that Arkham Horror 3rd Edition is probably my favorite of them. I'd like to play it a little bit more, but just the fact that it's more in a focused setting in the city setting and then just being moving around and dealing with the stuff there in that local setting is what really draws me to it. And the fact that it's so... It's very heavily uh, story-driven, really helps out with the game, because it's one of those just really fun-style games that I tend to like, and just my game group tends to kind of go towards, because they'll usually play games like Azul and like a couple of like the lighter games, but really what's in their wheelhouse is a lot more of those heavy kind of long Ameritrash games. And I really do agree with them because they're a lot of fun. 
especially when you do get into like the role playing aspects of it. I think that really adds to the game too. Yeah. And again, my cat is uh, acting like a psycho. So <laughs> acting like a cat. I played Elder Elder Tar twice. Uh, I played it once with Eric and Caitlin and Luke, and that was a lot of fun. And then we played it at last year's Extra Life with seven people, and I had fun at first. And then I think we all started getting like really frustrated. Worn out. Yeah, no. It- it's good when it's like maybe four players max. As soon as you start getting into the counts, like the seven, eight people, then it starts dragging. Because the problem was, is I'm spending 20 minutes waiting for my turn to come around. And when oh, my turn gosh. comes, I roll a die and then that's it. And it yeah. gets like, okay, that was, now I sit here. <laughs> yep. So next time you play it, if anybody says more than four, Stay the hell away. <laughs> don't do not do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will never play the third edition over the four players because I think that was where the sweet spot was with it. Amount of people playing a game will affect the quality of the game. Like some games are good at higher player counts and then some will kind of devolve, which is great because that will go into my number one when we get to it, but we'll come back to that. What's your number two, Jacob? What? What's your number two? Do you want to hear my number two? No, we don't. Okay, moving on to my number one instead. No, (laughs) uh, my number two is the Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games. Ooh. Those aren't horror games. I'm I'm talking horror, spooky, Halloween-themed, anything that fits into that realm, and I'm going to explain myself here. First off, these are... Games by Rocksteady, they came out a long time ago, 2009 and 2011, and uh, I have them both for PS4 now, the the kind of updated versions, although they're not that updated. I chose them specifically, the the first two, I think, more than, than the rest of them, because Arkham Origins doesn't count, and uh, Arkham Knight is fine, it's good, it's got its moments, but I don't think it fits the same... Well, actually, it does. I, I, that's a lie. It does. We'll, we'll get to that. So... Uh, Batman himself is not really is not necessarily like a spooky Halloween esque character, although you could argue that he dresses up as one and he's probably one of the scarier of like the superheroes. And, you know, sometimes you dress up as a superhero for, for, for Halloween times and that's fine. Batman and his rogues gallery do a really good job of representing that kind of spooky sort of Halloween atmosphere. And the way Arkham Asylum, the, the Arkham universe is designed is to make everyone as scary and terrifying as as their characters could possibly be as someone who doesn't play a lot of horror games like anything that kind of touches on that can like can stress me out to some point so like you're walking down a corridor in arkham asylum and and you have no idea of if, if like someone's going to jump out at you or not and sometimes it happens so you're going down like a like a abandoned creepy hospital or insane asylum like jeff was saying it's overused but the whole first game is nothing but that. And it's just uh, things jumping out at you sometimes or falling from the ceiling or there's nothing and you're just stressed out that it's going to happen. The first game had the killer croc section where you were in this quiet, musicless, like all you hear is like dripping of water, like sewer area. Mm-hmm. It's such a high stress section of the game. I hate it. And every <laughs> once in a while, 
killer croc will come jumping out of the water and running at you and you have to like toss a battering at him as super fast or else he catches you and you die immediately yep and it's very like it's stressful it's scary but what's scarier than that are the scarecrow sections yes because they mm-hmm. mess with you they yep. they the first game the very first scarecrow section is probably one of the creepiest parts of a video game i've ever played because the camera starts to shift at an angle the the voiceover stuff like the lady over the announcement starts asking weird questions and and you see things that don't actually happen and then you go into a morgue at one point and all the the morgue like where they keep the bodies are flapping open and there's like whispers of get out get out and you leave but when you leave you enter another morgue that wasn't there and and then it all culminates into the scarecrows like platforming sections which are not that scary but like everything leading up to it is frightening there's also with the scarecrow in the first game a part where you're like fighting him and it makes you think that the game has crashed yes yeah (laughs) yes people actually turned their game off which i thought was genius (laughs) yeah it reminds me of when of uh metal gear solid when you were finding psycho mantis (laughs) he looks at your save files on your memory card or in metal gear solid 2 when the ar starts going crazy and they go riding turn off the game now yes (laughs) because that section's creepy too it's the same thing when 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 a game is able to mess with you on that kind of meta level. I think that's it's brilliant. I love it. And it, during that segment, the Joker shoots you in the head, and then it goes to the normal loading screen after you die, and it says, "Use the middle stick to avoid Joker's gunshot." There's no middle stick on your damn controller. It's all just messing with you, and then you start up again fighting the Scarecrow, and it's great. Like, they use the menus and your expectations against you. Mm-hmm. Arkham City is the second game. It is... The atmosphere is just as creepy in some spots. The Scarecrow is unfortunately not in the game. They replace his weird segments with the Mad Hatters, which is just a really creepy section, but not, like, scary creepy, just kind of, like, weird. Although there is a section where you're going through underground Gotham and these marionettes come to life and attack you out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know if you remember that at all from the game, if you've played it through. I don't remember that. I think I remember that part. You're trying to find Ra's al Ghul, and he's hiding somewhere under under Gotham in, like, old Gotham. So you're in this, like, old 1950s, 40s, like, submerged area. Everything's decrepit and creepy, and you're going past department stores, and every once in a while, like, a marionette will just come to life and attack you. My favorite part from Arkham City was when you're in a museum and you have to use the shark repellent. Yes, I I love this game so much. There's an actual shark. But there's no shark repellent. You punch the shark. Oh, is that what it was? You punch the shark. Here's my shark repellent. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that counts all the same. You have to go real slowly, but eventually the shark will attack you, and you have to punch the shark, and it's just great. It is. It's awesome. I love Arkham City. It's my favorite one. Uh, I I didn't include Arkham Simon totally because I think they removed a lot of the scariness to make it more like action oriented. Although there are some creepy. Actually, no, that's a lie. That that game has creepy parts because sometimes mm-hmm. the Joker will appear out of nowhere and scare you. There's two points where you go up to a building and a pop up like either Man Bat or the Joker scare you, and I jumped out of my seat when that happened. Uh, <laughs> sometimes posters in the background will change to show like joker or batman and when you move the camera back it'll disappear like it never happened like the game messes with you and 
Scarecrow's in the game. He's supposed to be like the main villain. What, uh, Arkham Knight? In Arkham Knight. And he's voiced by John Noble, the guy who played Denethor in the uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, and he's in Fringe as the mad scientist. Yeah. And he's so good in that game. I had to find a clip of him like talking to Batman before he like does something to to um, Oracle. It, it's this whole speech he gives, and he's just so good, and his delivery is so like sinister. Yeah, John Noble is awesome. And I think that's why these games deserve an entry on this list. Mm-hmm. And that's my number two. All right, what is our number ones? Eric, lay it on me. Paint a picture with your words. Oh, boy, you picked the wrong person for that <laughs> statement. <laughs> um, my number one pick is the Dead Space franchise. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very heavily inspired by Resident Evil. If you've ever played it, you, you'll know why. Um, it is a third-person survival horror action game where you fight against space zombies. Now, here's the thing about the space zombies and how you fight them. Um, the playable character in Dead Space, his name is Isaac Clarke. He's named after authors uh, Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. It's set like 500 years, something like that in the future. Humanity's gone through a resource war. And so to get the resources that humanity needs, they send these big ships called planet crackers out into the, out into the universe. And what they do is they crack open a planet and use like gravity tethers to pull a chunk of it out. So in the first game, our little spaceship engineer, Isaac Clarke, is a silent protagonist, unfortunately. Uh, they fix that in two. But the way that you fight the space zombies is with basically engineering and mining tools that you use to blast them apart. The, the main weapon is called a plasma cutter, and what it's meant for in the first game is to like blow open rocks and stuff like that, like finding the minerals. And to kill the space zombies, it's not like you're Resident Evil where you're told to shoot for the head, right? Because in Dead Space, if you shoot off the zombie's head, it's just going to get pissed off because it can't see you. What you want to do is you want to cut off the limbs. So you want to cut off their arms, which have grown into like blades so that they can cut you. You want to dismember them. The first game takes place on one of the planet cracker type ships I was telling you about that go out and they, they open up the planet and take the minerals and all that. You and your little crew get there because they, they called out for uh, an SOS repair. So you go out there. And the reason that Isaac volunteered to go on this repair crew is because his girlfriend was on that ship. But you get there and you notice something's not right. And you soon discover that literally everybody is dead. And you'll see on the walls it's like blood splatter and people writing in wall writing in the blood in the walls and it sets a very tense atmosphere because you don't know what's gonna be around the next corner. They do a lot of if especially if you play it with like headphones with like surround headphones, you'll hear the direction it's coming from and you know that you need to go that way, but you're hesitant because what's gonna be around that corner? The space zombies are called they're called necromorphs is what they are. They'll jump out from air vents and stuff like that to get to you. They'll play dead too, so there's a early in the first game there's a point where you turn a corner and you see one laying on the ground acting like it's dead. And if you walk up on it, it'll jump at you. 
So they play, uh, they play very heavy into jump scares a lot. But that's the premise of the first game, is that you're exploring and trying to repair the ship, you're trying to find your girlfriend who you find out is dead. And you find out throughout the course of the first game that the reason that all of this is happening is because of something called the Marker, which is a piece of religious uh, worship by a group called Scientology. Not Scientologists, Unitologists, <laughs> which is obviously a jab at the Scientologists, mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's the premise of the first game. Uh, after you, in the end of the first game, you return the marker to the planet, and you get off, you get away. The second game picks up, and you're on uh, Titan, which is one of the moons of Saturn. They have a space station out there, and it turns out that the government which at this point in in the future is called EarthGov, is doing experiments with the markers because they want to they want the power, right? So then the same shit happens. You get space zombies, you gotta blow you gotta blow up the marker, you gotta kill the ghost of your dead girlfriend. Oh no. She he goes it, the marker affects your mind, so it makes you go all crazy and see all kind of crazy spooky stuff. It was trying to use you to bring what they call in the game as convergence, where everything that's alive comes together, they, it kills everything, and they form a moon out of all the dead bodies. They create a moon that's a giant necromorph, yep. which which you don't find out about until Dead Space 3, that that's what that actually is. Uh, Dead Space 3 is a lot more action-oriented, because at this point in the in the universe of the games... The main character has been through this twice before. He knows how to fight these things. So he he tells people, you know, cut off the limbs, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. But it's also set on, like, the snow planet. So you can be walking around in the snow and they'll pop up out of the snow at you. So you don't know when that's going to happen. Because, you know, they're in the snow. They're buried. And also in Dead Space 3, instead of, like, the repurposed mining tools that you do in, like, 1 and 2... There's actually a weapon crafting system, which is absurdly overpowered. But then, at the end of Dead Space 3, you fight, a, you fight a giant zombie moon. You think the main character dies. He doesn't die. There's a DLC. EA shuts down Visceral Studios five years later, and you never get the answers you've wanted for the last six years now. And that's the true horror story, is that it's an EA game. <laughs> Fight giant zombie moon. It's a giant. It's a giant zombie moon. At the end of the DLC for three, you get back to Earth, and you see that all of them, all of the giant zombie moons from around the universe, have converged there to like wipe out humanity. Wow. And that's 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 what that's the end. That that that's it. That's all you get. No more. Why has EA not? This was a huge series of games. This was like yes. This was one of the um the the OG like back in the was it like 2010s kind of thing like uh first one came out in 08. Oh okay like so around that period then afterwards, but they, there's no sign of a sequel or nothing. No, because EA said like you need to sell so many copies, and I guess they didn't. Oh my god! And then the the studio that made those games got shut down a year or two ago. Oh well, that's just that's just sad. I'm sorry to hear that. Which, 
Which, fun fact about me, I loved Dead Space so much as the series was coming out that the first tattoo I ever got was actually the marker from Dead Space. Huh. I did not realize that. You've probably never seen it. It's on my upper arm, on my on my right arm. Okay, I thought you were going to say it somewhere else. I don't know how I don't know how often I'm shirtless around you, but I'm pretty sure it's never. So. Clearly not enough is what I'm hearing. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but But yeah, I, I love the especially in one and two, three not so much because like I said, you can create these like stupid overpowered weapons. I just love the atmosphere and like the tight spaces they put you in. Mm. Because you can have two or three coming at you from the front and another two or three coming at you from behind while you're in a hallway. And you have to hope that you don't run out of ammo while you're trying to kill these things. I'm I'm going to uh, put this on the list of games that I will maybe never play. Because uh, <laughs> it sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. And weren't a lot of the uh, DLC stuff, uh, like the weapon stuff, uh, hidden behind microtransactions when it first came out? Uh, they're... they're... I think you still probably can do the, the microtransactions, but they're not necessary. They just let you have upgrades for like your ammo capacity, uh, the damage, stuff like that. Game shorteners. <laughs> yep. My favorite weapon to make in Dead Space 3 is basically a machine gun where the the rounds that it shoots out are... Buzzos? Um, Buzzos? Bees. Buzzos? Bees. No. No, they're they're fire. So you shoot something, it lights on fire. I mean, that's good, but it's not bees. So you do or that, muscles. and then you put a rocket launcher on the bottom of it. That just seems like overkill. Yeah, like I said, it's a little it's a little overdone in three. It's a little overdone in three. My favorite weapon from like the first two uh, is in Dead Space Two. They put a javelin gun in there, and so you, you could you could shoot them with a javelin and pin them to a wall. And then the secondary fire for it would electrocute them. <laughs> but pin them in electrocute them in place. But then if you have it fully upgraded, the javelin will blow up. Oh my god. Nice. So you can shoot one that's like in a pack moving at you, electrocute all of them, and then blow it up. <laughs> um, and another thing that they did that's really cool is that, you know how I mentioned they have their arms have turned into like blades to try and cut you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can cut off their arms and then grab it with a, um, a kinesis thing that you have and then shoot it back at them. Yeah. So that's really fun. And wasn't one of the uh, secret weapons in the game and two, I think a foam finger with infinite ammo. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you beat that space two on the hardest difficulty where there's no safe points. If you start over, if you die, you start all the way over. You get a foam finger, and he runs around. He you'll run around, and he'll make he'll go bang, pew pew pew, bang bang. <laughs> so it's that anime uh, where they go. I forgot what it was, but it was uh, an old guy and a kid, high school kid. Uh, their bodies are replaced by uh, robotic parts. And they just start saying bang and pew and da 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 and shoot like mind bullets, I think. I have never heard of that. Uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank here, man. <laughs> and I think it's a newer one. I think it came in last year or so. But that's that's what I have for that. It's uh they're fun, spooky time games. They're very tense atmospheres. And uh remember you gotta shoot, you gotta you gotta cut off their limbs. And shoot them with a foam finger. 
Jeff, I think you and I have the same number one. Yes, but also I've just found the name of the uh, anime slash manga. What is it? It is called Inuyashiki. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I looked it up, never heard of it. Literally, the the old guy and the uh, kid point finger guns at each other and say, bang, 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 and they shoot people. This looks terrifying. <laughs> this looks... This look, this is that is definitely some guy's head coming off like it was a mask. Yes. Hey man, it just it be like that sometimes. <laughs> and no, it is it it is screwed up. This looks trippy. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so our number ones. On three. One, two, three. Ah! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were doing the uh I thought we were doing the, the the sync thing. Sorry, our our favorite our fa- our number one spooky time Halloween game. Uh, and on three, it's... on three, I promise I'll do it for real this time. One, two, three, mysterious. Mysterious. <laughs> oh, like oh, I broke you. <laughs> like. My goodness, just look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> the game we're talking about is is Mysterium. Mysterium. Jeff, what do you want to say about Mysterium? Mysterium is a fun cooperative game where one person is playing the a ghost while everyone else plays psychics that are trying to solve the ghost's murder. And I've got to say, it is fun. It is hilarious. It is, I'm trying to remember how I said it once, it's Clue via Dixit. It's probably a good analogy. The ghost, they get a hand of cards, and each of them are kind of this surreal drawing, like you'll see like a scarecrow on top of an ocean liner, or like... uh, flowers but instead of like the regular petals it's like a gelatinous cube on top of it mm-hmm. it's all kind of weird kind of uh surreal drawings and they have the psychics have to use those cards to guess the person the suspect that possibly murdered you the place and the weapon they used and then at the end of the game they have to, all of them collaboratively, have to find out who the actual murderer was. Because as the ghost, you're slightly amnesic, and then as they start finding things, it's like, oh, now I'm getting more stuff. Now I remember this. And <laughs> the ghost is wildly accusing all these people. <laughs> Just to drug their memory. Just, yeah, it's like, mm, was it that guy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and, like, the people, the weapons, everything, it's gorgeous artwork. You'll have, like, a jockey. You'll have, like, a uh, army colonel, not mustard. Uh, you'll have a chef. It's good because it's a real kind of uh, diversity there are maids, there are school teachers, there are explorers, and just 
there's mechanics there's a barber i think at one point i think there's a magician even yep and each one of them is a possible murderer but in the end the real murderer was the friends we made along the way <laughs> Jesus <Christ>. yes <laughs> so the thing about this game is is that it is cooperative and i've rarely seen a game that really pulls everyone in all the time and before i had talked about how like arkham horror doesn't scale well past like four or five people because then it just drags this game plays seven people six in the ghost and the more people there are, I think the better the game is. Definitely, yeah. Because you are not only trying to figure out who your personal person, the ghost, is giving you hints for is, but you get incentives for helping other people and either agreeing or disagreeing with them. Because the game gives you, like, bonuses if you guess other people's correctly or incorrectly. And it goes up on a track, and that will let you see how many clues you get at the end of the game to win. And everything Jeff said was right. The game is, uh, it's always been a hit almost almost every time I've played it with people. There are a couple people who are like, eh, it didn't really work with me. But most people love it. It, it works because it's all about a ghost talking. And it's very like spooky-ish looking without being like overly scary or anything. So it fits very well into that kind of autumn, fall, spooky time, my Lou. And uh, I know that this was talked about uh, on the Bedtime Gamers podcast, I'm going to have to disagree with something they said. It is not very long. I have never played this game for more than an hour. It usually averages 45 minutes. And I, I recorded us playing it at our very first Extra Life twice. We played it back to back, and both games were like under 37 minutes. It actually goes by very quickly. And that was one where Emily was the ghost and Eric was the ghost. I think I was a very bad ghost. I don't remember if we won or lost or not. I, I think I think everyone considers themselves either a good or bad ghost usually. Like, it's not an easy role to fill. You're limited. You only have seven cards in your hand at a time. And sometimes you got to give somebody something that just doesn't tell them everything you want to tell them. Yep, I agree. Jeff, what, you, what about your experiences with that? Let's see. I'm trying to remember because I haven't really played it in a while. We have to fix that. Yes, we do. Extra life. Extra life. Yeah, it's it's always been a relatively quick game. And again, the ghost is literally the hard part of the game. Yeah. Because I gave cards out to people and they were like, oh, they'll interpret it differently from what I was expecting them to. <laughs> and then I give them cards kind of based on that, trying to kind of go towards more of their thing. And they're like, Jeff, what the hell are you doing? What are these cards? I don't understand. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? It's, I'm giving you these cards. The shapes are there. The colors are there. And they're like, ah. It can be very frustrating, but very fun. I have played where where the ghost was just so off of what everyone else was thinking that I'm that we clearly didn't win. And it was everyone by the time we were over, we're like, what were, what were your clues? And they would tell us and we're like, who would think that? So like the crazier someone's mind works creates for very interesting games, uh, which is <laughs> it, it, the game is a blast and uh, it gets everyone really involved. And that's why I make it my number one. Yes. Does anyone have any also rants they wanted to briefly talk about before we before we finish this up? Not really. You can't be upsetting when you got spaghetti. 
I, I don't know what that means, but I almost put Fury of Dracula on the list. Mm. But the game is not up there as far as the rest of them. I really like it, but it's because I like being Dracula. I'd say probably Zombie Side would be close to my list because even though it is more of like an action-oriented game, it's still that cooperative kind of experience of surviving a zombie apocalypse. Oh, it counts. It's a zombie game. Yes. I also had the video games Friday the 13th and Dead by Daylight, uh, which are both oh, yeah. so good. games where you, where you were a killer or a victim trying to run away or towards the other one. And I and I I didn't include these because I don't really play them that much. I've I've watched other people. I like watching other people play them. Sometimes I'll watch them on Twitch, and I have Friday the Thirteenth, but I haven't played it very much because I'm very bad at it. And uh, <laughs> but it's uh it's a it's a lot of fun to play and watch. They're really fun games. You'll notice that I did not include any Lovecraft games on my list at all. The truth is I didn't want to overwhelm them because I figured that I they probably would have filled up the entirety of my list. So I'm saving that for like another time, I think, because uh, there's a bunch of them out there, a bunch of Cthulhu games, and it's practically its own genre at this point. And because, again, like there's a lot of good board games, there are not many super good Lovecraft video games. Yeah, there's Bloodborne is probably the best Lovecraftian game out there, period. Call of Cthulhu and Sinking City are, like, fine. Uh, I know that there used to be one called Dark Corners of the Earth, Call of Cthulhu, that was supposed to be really good, but that's, like, an old, much older game. And I know there's there's another Lovecraft game coming out I just found out about that's just like Call of Cthulhu and Sinking City that's coming out next year. It's, like, the third, I guess, in a company trying to get this to work. But there's also a space one that Eric pointed out to me that I've been keeping an eye on, where you're in space. And what is that one called? It's, like... it's um i forget i forget but i know it's like on mars specifically yeah isn't it like the moon or something like that is like list something creepy like that moons of madness it's or ghost, something it's ghost ghost of mars with ice that is moons of that madness. is not true jeffrey <laughs> <laughs> it's called it's called moons of moons madness. of madness so yeah that to me is a whole other genre so i didn't include that on my list of stuff oh speaking of video games here's another one that we missed until dawn i haven't played it oh yeah oh yeah Yeah, i haven't played that in forever and unfortunately sean and m already went over that once so i didn't want to steal from them there steal from them it's okay they don't exist yeah no they don't don't. they're just figments of our imagination they don't they're not really there so yeah no who is this person talking to me i don't know (laughs) all right guys that is our top five uh spooky fun Halloween-esque centered horror type games that we enjoy. So thank you all for listening so much. Uh, Don't know when we're going to get the next one in there. Hopefully maybe we'll do one next weekend, but we'll have to see. And maybe we'll talk about more Halloween stuff and then we'll sooner or later, it will be extra life. So make sure you get those donations to us. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Once again, my name is Jacob. I'm Jeff. And I'm Electronic Rick. You are not. And uh, this is Geekenspiel. You'll have a good week. We'll catch you next time. Bye. 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 Oh, wait, Jeff. Three, <laughs> two, one.